Welcome to Talking Energy, the UK Energy Research Centre podcast. Hello, welcome to our new podcast, Talking Energy, in which we explore a range of topics and issues facing the energy system. My name is Jessica Bays, and I'm Head of Communications and Policy at the UK Energy Research Centre, or UKIRC as it is also known. Joining me today is Dr Steve Carver to discuss green on green impact. Steve is a senior lecturer at the University of Leeds. He is also director of the Wildland Research Institute and is joint chair of the IUCN thematic group on rewilding. Steve has participated in our research programme via Advent. This is a grand challenge project funded by NERC, which aims to develop frameworks and tools to assess how prospective UK energy pathways will impact marine and terrestrial environments. So let's jump straight in. Steve, what are green on green impacts? Well, I think we're all aware of the need to decarbonise energy production um, in the UK and indeed across the world. Um, but that comes at a price. Uh, we There are conflicts between uh, energy demand and supply, but also with um, landscape uh, conservation and biodiversity goals. And so what we've been working on is to methods to try to uh, evaluate the, the necessary trade-offs uh, between uh, renewable energy, uh, decarbonising uh, the energy economy, um, and protected some of our iconic landscapes. So I know part of your work has been tracking developments in European wilderness protection. How has policy been helping or hindering this process? Yes, I mean, in Scotland, we talk about wild land rather than wilderness per se. And, uh, you know, wild land is an important aspect of Scotland's countryside. There are many iconic wild landscapes in the Highlands, for example. Um, And in 2009, there was a European Parliament resolution on wilderness, which were passed with uh, 538 votes in favour and only 19 against. And that set the scene, really, for wilderness protection in Europe as part of uh, the uh, Birds and Habitats Directive. And it devoted special attention to developing effective protection of wilderness across the European Union as part of Natura 2000. Uh, And Scotland was kind of ahead of the game here in that um, we worked with Scottish Natural Heritage to develop uh, mapping methodologies uh, to produce a new map of wildland areas, which was actually published as part of the National Planning Framework and the Scottish Planning Policy Guidance in June 2014. But prior to that, uh, Scotland also had another number of firsts in that uh, they um, uh, instigated a review of the status and conservation of wildland um, for the Scottish Government, um, but also mapping of the national parks. Uh, wildness in the national parks. And that's where we developed some of these mapping methodologies. Um, and as part of that, the um, back, back as far as uh, 2002, actually, prior to the European Parliament resolution, um, SNH developed a, a, a kind of a back of the envelope map called the Search Areas for Wild Land in 2002, uh, which was then built on with our mapping approach um, in 2013, produced a series of core areas of wild land, which were consultation um, areas. And of course, actually, these were not well received by the renewable energy industry. Um, you know, obviously, perceptions of resource sterilization. If if you're saying that these landscapes are wild, and and, and particularly wind energy developments would be contrary to that, it's uh, it, it, it you know could have a negative impact on the renewable energy industry. 
but also they were also perceived by some local communities as as being kind of counter to the culture in the area of uh, they didn't see their land as wild and remote um so yes um there are some potential uh, interesting developments there but we just need to take those in 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 context yep and hopefully people will you know acknowledge those areas um and kind of plan accordingly so um the work you've been undertaking within advent has been mapping locations for energy infrastructure so tell me about some of the techniques and tools you've been developing yes absolutely um part of you know advent is um is 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 this program, which is uh, addressing valuation of energy and nature together, so that's where the advent bit comes from. Um, and the aims of that was to develop conceptual frameworks and modelling tools to integrate the analysis of uh, prospective UK energy pathways uh, with the considerations relating to natural capital. And that was led from uh, UEA by um, Andrew, uh, Professor Andrew Lovett. Um, what we were doing as part of that was looking at some of these visual uh, or disamenity impacts of energy infrastructure and the energy chains, which could uh, have effects on both meeting future energy demands through decarbonisation, um, particularly through local opposition and our regulatory actions. And so if we think about wind farms, um, then they have obviously quite a profound visual impact, which can dis- extend over very large areas, depending on uh, the, the, the landscapes. And planners and landscape architects talk about ZVIs, or zones of visual influence. And being able to map those um, and look at the, their impacts in the landscape enables us to uh, look at the consequences of developing certain landscapes in in feasible UK energy scenarios, such that you can then address some of these conflictions that we've been talking about in terms of landscape and, uh, and, and energy uh, demand in terms of green on green. So if we just roll backwards a, a little bit and think about Scotland again, there was a, um, the, the, I mentioned the core areas of wildland in 2013 as the sort of draft uh, uh, areas that we mapped. Now, at the time, there was a proposal for a very large wind farm at a place called Strone Leg in the Monolia Mountains, just to the northwest of the Cairngorm National Park. And this was mapped as a single wildland area. Um, but there was this proposal right in the middle of it for 67, 135 meter high turbines. Now, these were actually then granted planning permission by the Scottish Environment Energy Minister at the time, Paul Wheelhouse. Uh, and of course, SNH had to then go back to the drawing board and remap the area with the this new wind farm in place, which basically resulted in that very large wildland area being split into two smaller patches. And of course, that demonstrates actually quite nicely the utility of this mapping approach, where we're able to map both um, the impacts of, of renewable energy, such as you know, large wind farms, and uh, the landscape qualities side by side, and look at uh, look at how they uh, they interact with with each other. Yeah, that's really interesting. So, obviously, working in the energy sector, I'm, I mean, I may be in the minority of the general public, but I don't actually mind the juxtaposition of wind turbines and, and wild landscapes. But I know this isn't shared by everybody. So what sort of work have you been doing to explore public perceptions of renewable energy infrastructure? 
Yeah, this is, uh, these are all interesting questions. Um, you know, a lot of energy related stuff, um, you know, has this element of public acceptability, but it is very context specific. So people's perceptions of renewable energy infrastructure, you know, be that the, uh, the distribution chains or the infrastructure which is required for their construction um, or the, um, you know, the wind turbines, the solar farms themselves, is very dependent on uh, individual stakeholder perceptions, characteristics, um, the location involved of the proposed renewable development. Um, and uh, we had a PhD student working on this, uh, Pip Roddis, and the title of her thesis was looking at uh, public acceptance of renewable energy in Great Britain, you know, the, both the determinants, the dimensions, and the decision-making. And what Pip was finding that, um, yes, it is incredibly context-specific, um, and depending on location, the characteristics of the development in question, um, the the landscape being impact, people's people's um, perceptions, their, their reactions vary. And, you know, again, we can, we, we can go back to the Scottish example in that part of that work requires you to know where these, um, these, these turbines, these solar farms, whatever it is, where this infrastructure can actually be seen from. Um, and, a lot of that work revolves around uh, using geographic information, so the computer mapping software, which enables you to um, import a terrain model, import the development uh, into that terrain and work out where it's visible from. Uh, and to do that, we have to do millions of, view of, of what we call these view shape calculations. Uh, and we had to develop a piece of software to do that when we first started working with the Scottish government to do the wildland mapping stuff. Um, and actually, it's, it's an interesting story because what we did is um, using proprietary software from existing GIS systems, they're simply too slow uh, to do these millions of calculations. We'd all be old and gray by the time they'd finished. Um, so we had to develop our own software. And so we developed a, a piece of software called Viewshed Explorer. And it's a proprietary tool uh, which you know, we've uh, um, <clears throat> we've been using and the Scottish government and actually the US government and, and other governments around the world are using now. Um, but it's based around um, video game technology. So I don't know if anybody is listening actually has used a first person shooter video game like Call of Duty or whatever, um, where, you know, you you go around a, a, a virtual map, you know, shooting at aliens <laughs> or whatever. Uh, it's got to be real time. If the software doesn't work in real time, um, instantaneously, um, it doesn't work. You know, you just simply can't play those kinds of games. So we borrowed the um, the algorithms from that called ray casting techniques, which enable us to essentially calculate what's visible from where, um, pretty much uh, not instantaneously, but a lot faster than um, these off-the-shelf tools. So going back to the issue about public perception, um, if you can map um, accurately map the visual impact of renewable energy infrastructure across the whole of a landscape at very high resolution, um, and not just where you can see it from, but how much of you can see it, um, what's its impact in terms of how big does it look in the landscape, 
then you can get a better handler, you know, a quantitative handle on the likely impacts. Marry that with public surveys on what people feel about, uh, what their perceptions are about those, that infrastructure in the landscape, and relate that to those geodemographics of social class and political voting patterns, etc. And you've got this really quite powerful tool with which to explore some of these NIMBY type reactions, these not in my backyard reactions, or we can call them Lulu's, locally unacceptable land uses, or my favourite one is banana, uh, which is built absolutely nothing anywhere near anyone. But it's a common kind of problem with associated with landscape change and technological change. You know, nobody likes that level of change, especially next door to them. No, definitely not. And there will be a substantial amount of change as we, you know, progress on our energy transition. So last year, the government dropped its opposition to onshore wind. So it will be now included in the contracts for difference auction later this year. Um, It would stand to reason that these challenges are going to become more commonplace. So how do you think this research is going to feed into the siting of future energy infrastructure going forward? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, offshore, you know, Going offshore, it's it's more expensive, but you've got less of these NIMBY type reactions. Onshore yep. is cheaper and it's closer to uh, closer to market, so to speak, uh, depending where you are. And again, again, going back to Scotland, that was one of the difficulties with developing in some of these remote highland areas is that you know your your sources of supply are a long way from your centres of demand. It it requires probably a more strategic approaches. So some of the challenges going forward in meeting our uh, targets on decarbonizing energy production um, will have landscape impacts, undoubtedly. Um, yes, offshore is one way to go, but in terms of onshore, in terms of ease, closest to market, accessibility, etc., then we'd like to uh, see a top-down approach which addresses the trade-offs that we've been talking about between meeting our renewable energy targets, uh, meeting that demand, and at the same time, protecting iconic landscapes. Now, the mapping, this is where the mapping approach works best, perhaps at that strategic level. We need to move away from a responsive mode where individual energy companies and landowners are proposing uh, a wind farm in a particular location because the landowner's willing uh, the energy company wants to uh, develop, you know, develop that potential um, to a more sort of coherent natural national strategy, a bit similar to the the Wales Tan Eight process. So we actually want to convince the Scottish government and the Energy Consents Unit of the of value, uh, the value of that kind of an approach using the mapping technologies that we've developed in coordination with. Um, uh, energy potential rather than this kind of responsive uh, reaction mode. Uh, and I'm working with some planners there. So Ian Kelly, for example, in Scotland to try to to try to do that. And although we've talked about the software, this Viewshed Explorer, which enables you to accurately map visual impact from the existing developments or proposed developments across a whole landscape, you can actually reverse the technology, if you like, is that the right word? Reverse um, the view shed. So instead of saying, where can I see wind turbines from and how much of them can I see anywhere in the landscape, you can actually say, where can I build wind turbines such that they don't 
necessarily have a bigger impact on some of these iconic landscapes. So instead of looking from uh, a turbine out, you're actually looking uh, at a turbine looking in, if you like. So it's reversing the view shed. And this would be a tremendous strategic uh, value when thinking about these national strategic approaches to identifying the best areas to develop. Um, and looking at the existing pattern of wind turbines across Scotland, and we've mapped this and we've mapped the view sheds over time uh, from the first turbines in the 1990s through to uh, present day, um, you can identify all of the areas which currently don't have a view of a wind turbine. Uh, and if you know that, you can then say, where can I build new turbines without them being visible from those non-visible areas? Um, and I think that's really the way forward here is a more strategic mapping approach, which enables us to look at these trade-offs between uh, meeting our renewable energy targets on the other one hand and protecting our iconic landscapes on the other. And there will be no perfect answer, um, you know, but yeah. yet, yet there will be um, uh, near optimum solutions. Yeah, that's really interesting, particularly fascinated by the utilisation of first people shooter games in your uh, research. Yeah, so it's, it's been kind of strange turnaround, isn't it? From, um, you know, something which is kind of, you know, it's entertainment and, and it's kind of inane at one level, uh, but being able to, you know, borrow that uh, uh, technology and apply it in a more, uh, um, you know, a, a, a more important context, I think it's really, really kind of cool. Yeah, definitely. So that's been really interesting, exploring these green on green impacts and kind of introducing us to some of the challenges and considerations needed when citing renewable energy infrastructure. So thanks again to our guest, Steve Carver from the University of Leeds. And thanks very much for listening. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To find out more about UKIRK, you can visit our website at www.ukerc.ac.uk.